Well, thank you so much, Janine and worship team, for leading us in singing that creed together. And I don't know about you, but uh, in these days where it seems that there's so much that divides us, it's wonderful to know that when we speak those words of that creed of what we believe, that we link arms or join hands with fellow believers in Jesus around the world. All different nations, all different languages, all different denominations. But this is what we believe together and in unity. And let's celebrate that today. Would you, would you bow in prayer with me? Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we declare. Lord, even if we're declaring in our weakness today, Lord, we declare the truth that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We declare, Lord Jesus, that you came, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in life eternal. And Lord, we just this morning just want to stand in unity with all Christ's followers around this earth, across our nation. And Lord, we want to stand together to be a testimony to the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, um, we spring that sacrifice of our worship today. And Lord, as we, as we sang earlier, there's nothing better than you. Lord, even if that so often isn't true in how I live, how we live, Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, we know it's true, that there is nothing better. And so, Lord, we just lay down all the distractions, all the stuff of the week that prove the opposite. And Lord, we just declare our praise and prayer to you, Lord, that you are good, that truly nothing is better than you. And that's why you're always worthy of our worship and praise. So Holy Spirit, would you pour out over your congregation today? Teach us through your word. Thank you that it's living. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, my name is Don Fraze, and as one of the pastors here, it's my privilege to uh, continue our teaching series today. Now, just going to let you know up front that uh, my, my teaching time will be a tad shorter than normal because we have a very exciting event right after me, which is we are going to get to hear from our new transitional pastor, Reg and Brenda Taves. They're here with us this morning, and so after the message, they're going to sh- come and share a little bit of their story. So just want you to anticipate that. And I've got a big chunk of scripture to cover today, Um, so I apologize. I don't want to sound rushed. I believe God wants to speak to us even through maybe a shorter message time, but hang in there a little bit because we're actually covering in the Bible the section that starts in Joshua and goes to the end of the Old Testament. So can you do that in 10 minutes? Give it a try, everybody. It'll it'll be fun. All right, so just a quick review on our storyline series. So we started with creation, from creation to brokenness. And then how out of that brokenness, God did not give up on his creation. God had a plan and a promise. And so God called an individual. That person was Abraham and said, I'm going to start a nation through you. And this nation is going to be a testimony to the whole world of what a country or a nation is like if they follow the one true God. So that was the vision and the mission. And that was the promise of God. So after creating that nation, and it took several hundred years to go from one man to lots of people to be able to call them a nation, but after, they, after God formed them as at the beginning of those nation, he gave them a law. And in many ways, this law that he gave them was like their structure. So it's kind of like God gave them a vision and a mission, and then he gave them a structure so that they could actually be successful in this call they had to be a nation that would be a testimony to the whole world 
of what it's like to be a nation under God. Now, if you're new to the big story of the Bible, you don't know what happens next. Many of you do know. And so when I ask the question, did these people, did this new nation of Israel succeed in carrying out that mission? Well, probably most of you would say no. And that is why the next chapter of our story today is called Rebellion. Wouldn't you think that after being set up with that incredible mission and vision and then being given a structure, a structure for success, that things would have gone well? Sadly, no. And that's why the next chapter is, is called Rebellion. Now, once Israel settled in the Promised Land, they had to conquer and then they lived in scattered tribes throughout the land. And during that time of their history, they were ruled occasionally by people called judges. And uh, these judges would, would come up every once in a while when the, when the nation got in trouble. So basically what would happen, and it was kind of like a cycle that would happen over and over again, the people would get complacent, forget about God, start to rebel against God. Then the consequences of calamity and attack from their neighbors would happen. So then in desperation, they would cry out to God, and then God would raise up a judge, and then this judge would deliver them, and then they'd go, God is great, let's follow him for a while until we go through the cycle again. And sounds kind of familiar, right? Kind of like our lives, but think about that. But anyway, they went through this cycle so many times through the book of Judges, and it's a fascinating book, but a sad, sad book of kind of moral decay of the nation. And basically, there's one verse at the very end that kind of sums it up, and it's uh, Judges 21, verse 25, and it simply says this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that last line, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes, that makes you think of our nation today. Well, you're in line with many theologians and teachers that would bring up that point, and I'll just let you think about that and, and wrestle with that. But that's where the nation came to. Now, the very last judge was a prophet by the name of Samuel. And, and when Samuel was an old man, the people of the nation came to him and said, you know what, we want to be like the all, all the other nations, and we want a king now. And this really displeased Samuel, but when he went to the Lord to pray about it, the Lord said, Samuel, realize the people aren't really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So remember, God raised up his people because he wanted to be their king. He wanted them to, to be, again, a testimony to all the nations of the world of what a country could be like under God's rule. But because the people of Israel started to look enviously at the other nations that seemed to be more prosperous than them, they began to envy and want that stability for themselves, and so they wanted a king, and so God said, give them the king, but make sure you remind them of what's going to be ahead if they, if they want a king. And so that's the whole next big section of the story. So for all the books in the Old Testament, like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, there's all these fascinating, amazing stories of all of these kings that came and went through the nation of Israel. Some of them were good kings, many of them were evil kings, and sadly, that type of rebellion within the nation just continued to cycle even more through the kings until it basically got to the point where the nation was so weak and so depleted that neighboring empires attacked them, Jerusalem and the temple and everything, the land was destroyed and all the people were sent away into exile. And so the, the closing part of the Old Testament is about this season for God's people that was called exile because of their rebellion. 
Uh, one author by the name of Lee Beach describes um, their experience of exile this way. He just said, horrific displacement, powerlessness, and painful memory. Now, you have to understand, for these people, they are taken away from their home. They're taken away from the country they know, the nation they know. There's no more kingdom. There's no more national identity for them. Beyond that, their temple is gone. Their religious practices is gone. And so for these people, it's like our national identity and our religious identity, our family identity has been ripped away from us, and now we're moved and exported to another country where we have to live. That's what exile was about. Exile was a, was a complete destruction, they thought, of their identity. Now, it's interesting, though, how did God ask them to respond to this time of exile? The best passage of Scripture to get a little glimpse of what God asked them to do is found in the prophet Jeremiah. In the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29. If you want to turn there, the words will also be on the screen. But this was God's message to these people, these broken people that now had to live in exile. So starting at Jeremiah 29 verse 4, it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In the following verses, there's just a little bit of a warning. Don't listen to all the false false prophets that are going to tell you the opposite. And then comes probably the most famous verse of Jeremiah 29. And I'm going to guess that a lot of you have heard it before. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, some of you have probably had that verse prayed over you as a promise, maybe at your baptism or at another key time in your life. It's a beautiful promise. But did you know that that promise was in the context of exile? Do you notice here what God was calling them to do? Well, first of all, what was God not calling? God didn't say, you know what, because of your rebellion, you deserve this, so you guys just wallow in your punishment, and just grin and bear it. God didn't say that to them. God also didn't say to them, hey, you need to preserve your faith and your culture. So as much as possible, isolate and live in a little religious bubble so that you aren't polluted by the world around you and and try to preserve your culture and religion. He didn't tell them to do that either. He also didn't tell them to become political activists to try to change the policies and the uh, laws of the government around them. What, What did God tell them to do? Did you hear what I read? God said to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Marry off your kids. Have lots of kids. And verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, God didn't call them to run away or hide or bemoan their terrible situation. God called them to engage. Engage in the culture around you. 
You see, Israel had lost their focus. Israel had lost their mission. They didn't realize that God had given them this mission to be a testimony to all the nations. And so it's kind of ironic that God's saying, okay, so since you were unwilling to do that, I'm just going to put you right in the middle of the nations, and maybe there, if you're faithful, you can live out your mission again. Maybe God was more in exile than what they would have thought, and God was using it in that way. You see, in this whole topic of rebellion, it's so important for all of us to understand that God's response to rebellion was not just simply punishment. I would say that was the small part. The biggest part of God's response was realignment. God's heart and God's desire was to realign them to the promise and to realign them to their mission. That's what it was all about. Now, just personally for for some of us today, I'm sure there's some of you today that feel like perhaps in your personal life, you kind of feel like you're in exile. Right now, you're wondering, like, what's next in life? Maybe some of you are just struggling with, God, where are you? Some of the promises and plans that I thought you had for me, the way I thought my life was going to go, it's not quite working out, and perhaps you just feel a little bit bitter down, and you might describe your life as exile. Maybe for some of you, you're even wondering, Am I paying the consequences for my bad decisions and mistakes and God's kind of punishing me? That's why my life isn't working out. Can I encourage you today that that's probably really faulty thinking? Can I encourage you today to embrace the God that loves you so much that he is probably not in any ways thinking that he needs to punish you, but what he's trying to do is to get your attention. Because maybe what we've done, because I know I do it all the time, I stray from the promise. And I stray from the mission. And because my God loves me, he reminds me and pulls me back to that promise and to that mission. And sometimes it's hurtful discipline. And sometimes I only recognize it through some of the struggles of life. But God can use that exile in our lives. And I just encourage you, if you're in that place today, to reach out to that God who's saying to you, hey, my promise is still there. My mission for you is still there, realigned to it, my daughter, my son. I'm with you. I've never left you. Come back to me. Maybe that's where you're at today. You know, what about for the church? There are many scholars today that believe that the Western church is in a time of exile. You can agree or disagree. This is what some of them think. You know, there was a time when the Western church pretty much dominated our nations in terms of Our influence, many call it Christendom, was able to influence the morality and the politics of the nation. And that was was a big part of of what many my age and older were were used to even in Canada. But the reality is is that Europe has been post-Christian for decades now, and Canada, we're not far behind. And so so to many, it's like perhaps as a church, we're in a time of exile. So how do we respond? Now, just one, one quote I want to share with you about the time of exile for Israel that might give some light. It's by a scholar named Walter Brueggemann. He says this. He said, For Israel, exile did not lead to an abandonment of the faith or utter despair. On the contrary, exile was the impetus that inspired the most creative literature and daring theological articulation of the Old Testament. That was God's plan of what came out of what seemed on the surface like a bad thing, what God did through exile. 
So again, back to us as the church. If we truly are in a time of exile, what's our response? Are we to isolate? Are we to just wallow in the discouragement of, oh, our country is getting so terrible and everything's going? Do we, do we grab onto that attitude? Do we live in despair? Do we live in offense and just feel like everything's negative and going downhill? Do we maybe think that we're in exile because maybe God is punishing us, disciplining us as the church? Well, I wonder about that too. But could it be that exile is part of God's plan to re-engage us in the mission? Did the church become so institutional and so concerned about Christendom that we lost our focus on the gospel? Could exile be the opportunity for us to realign to the mission, realign to the promise, realign to the gospel. Let's not give in to offense. Let's not give in to despair. God is still on the throne. This nation or no nation can thwart God. But we as the followers of Jesus, we follow the ways of Jesus, the kingdom that he taught. We don't live in offense and despair and woe is us and longing for the old days. We look ahead. We look to hope and possibility in the name of Jesus. And can I call us to that as a church? Even as we come into this time of transition, there can be some despair and worry and, oh, oh, all those what ifs. But can we instead see, God, what are you up to? What are you up to? How are you going to realign us to your promise, to the mission, to the vision you have for us? Hope and possibility. That's what I hope and pray for our church. Let me pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, we put our faith and our hope in you because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, there is no nation or no ruler that's above you. And Lord Jesus, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. Lord, we claim your promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would realign us to our, that promise. Lord, realign us to the mission we have to go to all nations and make disciples in the name of Jesus. Lord, realign us to that mission. Lord, I pray against discouragement. Lord, I pray against negative thought. Lord, I pray for those who even in their personal lives think that you might be judging them. Lord, realign them to your call. Realign them to your purpose. Realign them to the mission you've given them for their life. And Lord Jesus, I ask, unite us as a church. Lord, here at Forest Grove and, Lord, across our nation. And, Lord, I pray that we would rise up in hope and possibility because of what you're going to do. So, Lord, we just pray and ask for that in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.